Welcome to the Discipleship Helps Podcast. This podcast is designed to accompany you as you work through the book, Discipleship Helps. This book guides us through foundational doctrine every disciple should know. From time to time, you'll be able to pause and write your answers to the questions in the workbook. We encourage you to read each scripture and cover this journey in prayer. So without further ado, let's begin. We hope you enjoy. Tonight we're going to start back at page 236, but I want us to go back to page 232 to recap those few verses right there. How many of you guys, whenever you first fell in love with the Lord, you would describe how you were as on fire, on fire for the Lord in the beginning? Now, I'm not asking you to say whether or not you're still on fire. What I'm saying is, have you ever heard people also talk about how there's zeal in the beginning, right? But over time, that zeal will fade. You know what I've found, because that was said to me too, that early on in the beginning that I was very zealous and that that zeal would fade. What I find is not that my zeal has faded at all. In fact, my zeal has grown stronger. Certain things that I championed early on, those things have gone to the the wayside. And my zeal has been, I guess if I could describe it, uh, has been kind of dispersed and applied to things that are more sustainable and long-lasting. Does that make sense? So I think this idea of in the beginning that there's a zeal when we come to know the Lord and that that fades with time, that that's very wrong. That maturity actually looks like our zeal being applied more and more directly to the things that God wants our zeal to be applied to. And that may look different than what an immature believer who does not uh, have much knowledge about God's character or what his word says or how his Holy Spirit will sanctify them. So I don't know who that was for. Maybe that was just for me tonight. But uh, I just want to encourage you. What we are fighting for is maturity. I was speaking with a brother uh, earlier on this week. Uh, someone that I, that I already, uh, I'm already very excited about what the Lord has planned for his life. But uh, there is a, uh, a group of people who have grown uh, upset with the church and the institution of the church. And, and so they're turned off to the church, right? And, and the idea, yeah, church isn't just a, a four walls and a building. The church is out there. And, and what are we doing sitting in here on a Sunday morning? We should be out feeding the, the hungry and, and taking care. And, and so there is this, this camp of people uh, who are, are uh, disenfranchised with the institution of the church. And are, are looking to satisfy that in some way. And, and there's this whole group of people that I'm, I'm meeting and, and talking with and, and, and getting to know better. And I'm seeing this more and more. But if we were to leave this setting, let's say we, weren't, we just stopped doing this on Wednesday nights. And instead, all we did was go out and find the people who were sitting on the side, who hadn't bathed, who, needed, who looked like they needed food, looked like they needed a place to stay. Uh, they needed to help getting uh, 
you know, getting over drug addictions, alcoholism, different things like that. And we just spent our time doing those humanitarian works, but weren't spending time maturing believers. We were just spending time doing those works. What would happen is there would be people that naturally their personality is to go and do that. That is that, that, that's what they're drawn to, to go. I want to go out and to be and to sit with them, to get to know them, to give them food, to help them out. That's naturally their, their personality. That's, that's, that's part of who they are. The problem is, is that if you say this is the direction that we're all going to go, what would happen is there would be people who fall through the cracks and start to fall through the cracks more and more. And because you're not maturing, you start to lose the vision and the direction of where you're going. And all of a sudden people then make a religion out of that. People then make that the institution, and now it's all about going and doing that. And the, the part of you that's unsatisfied because what you're looking for is maturity, the part of you that's unsatisfied would then want to go and break away from that. Yeah, man, y'all think that the church is just going and feeding the home, but it's not. It's this. And what we're really looking for is maturity. We really are longing for maturity. We're longing to understand the purposes of God, what our purpose is, and to be in line with what He wants. That's what we really are desiring, and that is maturity. I, I want to encourage the people in this room and the people that have been listening faithfully and that are going through this. I am seeing tremendous growth. We are seeing tremendous growth in the maturity of the believers. What's, what's the problem when your goal is maturity? Well, it's not as, what would be a more child-appropriate version of this word? It's not as attractive as going after signs and wonders and miracles or great humanitarian efforts in a moment. Maturity is not as attractive, but do you know it's more fruitful? And, and what is he looking for? He's looking for fruit. We established that last week. He's looking for fruit. So I want to encourage you, if you feel that you are in it for the long haul, if you feel that marathon mentality beginning to set in, that's a good thing. Because it is about the long haul. We are in it for the long haul. I've sat, we've sat across from couples who have lots of problems, like many of us in here. And there's this feeling that can set in, of being in despair, feeling overwhelmed at all that has to be accomplished. But it's good to remind ourselves we are in it for the long haul. We're not just in it for an emotional high. We're not just in it because we felt like it today. But we're doing this because this is what our creator deserves. He deserves our praise. He deserves glory. He deserves obedience. He deserves fruit. And by the grace of God, he's going to get it from me, from you. Amen. We're going to give our creator fruit. Amen. We're in it for the long haul. Yeah. These first few verses that we see in page 232 about God and his purposes, I just found them very um, solidifying as I went back and read them again. I want to read through this again because it's so important for us to understand the character of God. If we've taken the bait of humanism in the church and believe that the entire purpose of God is to make us happy in this life, if that's, if that's what the, the, our purpose is, 
is that we're supposed to be happy. I want, my, I, I want to be happy. God wants me to be happy. I want to be happy. Other people should be happy like I'm happy. We, we want to, that's humanism. That the entire goal of man is to be happy. And if we extract that poison from this whole thing and say, no, actually our purpose is to bring God glory. And we recognize that we might not understand the story. We're trying to. That's why we're here. We're trying to understand the story and to understand our role, our part in the story. I, I find these verses extremely beneficial. I won't read the verses. I'm going to read you what I wrote from there. Second Timothy 1.9. Our calling in Christ is based off the purposes and grace of God. Our calling in Christ is based off the purpose and grace of God. Of God, okay? In his life, which means it's not just our purpose, it's his purpose. He has purposes. We may not be aware of those purposes. But I want to tell you, if you are called in Christ, there is a purpose that God has that you are supposed to find out about. And you're supposed to discover what your part is in it. Acts 13, 36. In his life and generation, David did God's will and served God's purpose and died. Okay, did David serve your purpose? Will you serve David's purpose? No, who served David's purpose? David. David served his purpose. So Mike, in the end, whose purpose will you serve? Yours. So David did God's will and served God's purposes and then he died. Acts 20, 27. I wrote, there is a, and also above it, I wrote, God has a, whole, in quotations, purpose. There is a whole purpose. There is one thing that we are all moving towards. We all play individual parts in that, but we are all moving towards one thing. Take a stab at it. Don't be afraid to get it wrong. What do you think it is? It is one thing. What's that? Glorify God. That is the one purpose we are all moving towards. To bring glory to God. Period. Jesus came to do it. He gave us his Holy Spirit so that we would do it. We all exist. Creation itself brings glory. Even the wicked, we read from some of the verses that we'll go over tonight, will bring glory to God. Glory to God is the final purpose and he will accomplish that purpose. <laughs> Genesis 1, 26 through 27, God's purpose was for man to rule over the earth in his likeness. Now mankind, within the greater picture of creation, has a purpose. Mankind has a specific purpose. Purpose. Don't worry about what the blue whale's purpose is. The blue whale will carry out the blue whale's purpose. Mankind, are we all a part of mankind? Mankind has a purpose. The animals will not fulfill our purpose. Mankind will fulfill our purpose. Right? Isaiah 40, 1 through 5. The Lord's hand delivers Jerusalem and his glory will be revealed as we make room for him. We then see that not just Jerusalem, but Israel also has a purpose. Are we seeing this, that each subset, each individual, each group, each class 
has a purpose that they are to fulfill. You have a purpose. And you are supposed to discover what that purpose is. If I tell you what my purpose is and you say, that sounds good, I want to do that. Does that work? No. No. Can you see why it might be a trap for us to fall into worshiping different men and women who rise up as superstars and make us think, well, that, I want to do that. I'm just going to start doing that. What's, what's the problem? Well, even if some of those actions overlap with what you are supposed to be doing, if you bypass discovering what your purpose is, then as soon as hardships and trials come and you start to get confused and you wonder, you have no base to stand on. You have no foundation to stand on because you haven't discovered your purpose. Are we all tracking together? The purpose of God. So let's go to 236. You know, I, 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 I'm big on nomenclature or, or verbiage words. I'm big on the right words that we use. You often don't hear me use the word Christian. I use believers. Why? To most people, that's not a big deal. Who cares? What's the big deal? We still use it. It doesn't matter. To me, I feel like it is a very big deal, so I use believers. And if you want to talk about why that is, we can talk about it at a separate time. I don't use the word revival. I, I, I believe, very, I don't also don't use Trinity, and I, there's a lot of other things that I don't, I don't like to use because I care very much about the verbiage. What I do believe is what's happening is a revolution. Let me tell you what a revolution is and, and from what, the way that I understand it. A revolution would be a, a change. So in reality, a revolution is a circle, right? So here, one revolution would be the bottom of the wheel going all the way around and coming back to the pavement. That's a revolution. I believe what we're trying to do is get back to where we left off. What we're trying to do is get back to where we were supposed to be. We're not talking about birthing a new thing that we're going to brand and, and make money off of and t-shirts and this and that. That's not the point. The, the idea is we're trying to get back to where we got it wrong, right? When I'm driving down the road, I have this really weird thing and I probably need to correct it. As soon as I realize I'm going the wrong direction, right, babe? You can attest to this. I will turn around wherever I'm at in the middle of the road as fast as I will drive over medians to immediately turn around and begin going the other way. There are many people, hey, it's okay. We'll go down there. It's not a problem. The next exit is two miles. We'll safely exit, make a safe U-turn, right? I immediately turn around. I don't want to spend not even one second, not one drop of gas, not one bit of sleep, not any. I don't want to waste a single bit of resource going in the wrong direction. I immediately want to turn around and start going the right way. Eat well, pff, natural consequence to my convictions. If God uses that to teach me, I'm, I'm humble, I'm willing. My point is, if I feel that way in the physical, that is really only about a moment in time. How much more should I feel that way about eternity and my spiritual well-being? 
Why would I spend even one ounce of energy or resources going in the wrong direction? If I recognize that I've gotten off course, I want to immediately turn around and start going the right way. I don't want to waste not even one bit going the wrong direction. For what? And I don't have to break any laws to turn around and go, not yet, in this country, not yet, to turn around and go the right way. But I want to tell you that, that that's a habit that we should develop. I very quickly, regardless of the cost, if I realize that I've been going the wrong direction, let me turn around and go the right direction. Right? There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Okay, 236, God's purpose for the church. Let's read A together. To find a people who will yield themselves to him, through whom he can reveal his glory, power, and love. Amen. See 1 Peter 2, 9, and 10. Let's go there. Okay, Victoria, would you read the verse and then tell us what speaks to you from that? Oh, oh, oh. Stand up. And speak, stand up and speak super loud. Do it with all boldness like you don't even care. I'm going to speak so loud and confidently and boldly because I can and it's the word of God. Excellent job. So how does that speak to you? A scattered group. I like that word. We were once a scattered group. How else did this speak to you guys? Don't be shy. He called us. He called us? Absolutely. Yes, sir. Let me let me push back on you. I am chosen. From that, from what you wrote, from what you read, if you went back and you picked a different, is that noun, pronoun? Picked a different pronoun. We. We. Remember what we talked about in the uh, prayer closet last week? Did anybody try that? Anybody try praying we? Our God, our Father, try and pray, try and pray communally. And we talked about hey, someone saying, uh, yeah, but that doesn't seem as intimate. And yet when they asked Jesus how to pray, that's how he answered. Our. It's just a thought. I'm not saying every time, but sometimes. And especially in this, we were called. Why is this important? Lindy and I went to Willow for a year and a half when we, when we first moved here. We were at Willow for a year and a half. And I want to tell you, coming up from such a strong church community down in Sugarland, 
coming up here and not knowing anybody, to be in a room that was filled with thousands of people singing out a worship song, we would weep, <laughs> especially in the beginning, many times, to look around and see we're not alone. There are other people who love the Lord, and they're here, they're there. It's good to remember that you're not alone. And it wasn't just you that was called. There are many that have been called. Many that have been called. And we see that they've been chosen. And they've been made into a royal priesthood. It is good for us to remember that we are not alone. Amen? Amen. Romans 16, 25 through 26. Tim, will you take that? Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Hmm. What version is that? ESV? NIV. NIV? Yeah. All the Gentiles? Is that what yours says? Yeah. How many, how many of y'all says Gentiles? Is that, is that 2011? Damn! Exposure! 2011! 2011! That's great. That's great. No, it's good. It's good. Okay, so how does that speak to you? Um, I wrote to, to proclaim to the world the message about Jesus Christ as it is, uh, as it ties into and is built on the foundation of the prophets and the law, God wants the Gentiles' obedience, the Gentiles' obedience by faith. Amen. Amen. Anybody put anything different? Stephen, what'd you put? Uh, I put the prophetic messages and commands are now understandable that the nations might serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. Vicki, what did you put? That's okay. What do you think from what, that, what we read in Romans 16? Yeah, who would that group of people be? Yeah, who is that? Us. Thank God. Thank God. I wrote to declare, or we declare, the mystery of Christ to the world. Babe, what was that message that you came away with and from why I care about Israel? About the full number of the Gentiles. Did you reread it? This is what I was picturing. So have you guys ever thought about the full number of Gentiles, until the full number of Gentiles comes in? And, and like, so they rejected it, which meant that we got an opportunity. You ever thought about that before? I was thinking about this idea of um, like a certain number existed you know, and, and then I began to think about the, the parable, the wedding invitation, the wedding banquet. And the invitations went out. And the invitations went out, and the point was is that we are going to fill this hall. Right? This banquet will be full. And so the invitations go out. And if I'm starting down the line and I've only got five invitations and I'm handing them out one by one, 
Katie doesn't have much of a chance, does she? But if I go, and then Ben says, no. And then Dan says, he doesn't want to. But he says, no, 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 yes. I wouldn't do that to you, Jamarian. No, 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 yes, yes, yes. Do you see? Here's the beautiful thing, is that when it comes back around, the promise for Israel is that all will be saved when he returns. And there will be enough. And there will be a yes. And you see this idea of the full number of Gentiles comes in because if they had taken all the invitations in the beginning, there wouldn't be anything for us. But what we find out in the end, the mystery is, no, he actually did this according to his own plan so that we'd have an opportunity. But there's also still enough for them. There's enough for anyone that wants to come and eat. Remember we talked about the feeding of the 4,000 last week? Yeah, I think the, uh, the parable of the wedding banquet is good, too. I think it'd be both. I think it'd be both maturity and also full number. That's good. So that's just my thought. That was my thought on that. To bless the people who will give him the glory and testify to the rest of the world. Uh, Jackson, will you take Acts 13, 44 through 48? Miss Sharon, it is good to see you. Will you take Titus 2, 11 through 14, please? And Jack, whenever you get there, read it out loud and proud. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews, <coughs> when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Amen. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. It's also a nice way of covering it up in case only a few. <laughs> 10,000 people in the room and as many people as were appointed to eternal life responded to the gospel. A.K.A. two. <clears throat> Jackson, how did that speak to you, man? It stood out to me that the Gentiles received the word and the promise of the Lord and they rejoiced in it. They received the word and the promise of the Lord and they rejoiced in it. Take me a little bit deeper. Take your time if you need to. Look at that verse again. Go a little bit deeper with the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles and tell me what you think. <clears throat> I think what makes it powerful is that Paul is saying how it was given to them first because it's for the Jews first and how they thrust it aside and rejected it. But the Gentiles are open to receiving it and bringing it and like delighting in it. Mm. It's supposed to make them jealous. Did all Jews reject it? Not all Jews. Not all Jews. But the ones who did made a way 
for the Gentiles to receive invitations. We don't really look at it like that very often, do we? But that's, that's, that's the wording of Paul. That's the wording of Luke. And we're seeing that the Gentiles were given a chance because some rejected, because some hardened their hearts. So praise God for that. Praise God even for the objects of wrath that God bore with great patience so that we could receive mercy, those who would receive, right? Praise God for that. Titus. How did that speak to you? Tells me that I need to live totally holy for him. Mm -hmm. What else? What else did you guys write down on this? Titus 2.11. Miss Aria, what did you write down? How would what I described humanism as, as that the highest goal of man is to be happy? How does that go against what we read in Titus 2, 11 through 14? Yes, sir. Humanism is more of like worldly grace, whereas there's spiritual grace through like God and Jesus. And like if we do worldly grace and we're not being trained up as it says in Titus, Tell me what you mean more by worldly grace. Grace as in just like not through like the spirit, but like going out and just like helping someone with their groceries or feeding to the poor, food pantries, all that stuff. Like not with the right intentions in mind, just doing it for your own feel good happiness or like the well being of society. Mm, okay. Okay. Josh? Um, I think in Titus it talks about uh, living a self-controlled life and our culture teaches YOLO. You know, do what pleases you. It's all about appeasing your own satisfaction, your own passions and desires. Yeah. Because you only live once, you might as well. It's the antithesis of, of the gospel. Yeah. This, uh, this, uh, sermon that I listened to today by Paris Reedhead. Anyone ever heard of him? He has a sermon called Ten Shekels and a Shirt. And it's based off the story from Judges 17 where Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, so Moses' grandson, is traveling along and becomes a priest for a guy named Micah who was trapped and not really able to go down to Jerusalem to worship. So he built his own temple and 
made an ephod, had an idol that was worth twenty, thirty thousand dollars and set it all up with the articles of the temple. And then here comes Moses' grandson just looking for a job. Micah hires him. He becomes his personal priest in this tiny little temple that he made because he couldn't go to Jerusalem to worship. And now Moses' grandson is a priest for hire to appease this guy Micah. And the whole point of Paris Reedhead's message, 10 shekels and a shirt, was contrasting humanism, right? That's why you're hearing me say it several times tonight. Contrasting humanism with holiness or giving God what he deserves or why he deserves to be praised. He even said a statement that I want to throw out there for you. He said, you should glorify God and serve him all the days of your life, even if you go to hell at the end of your life because he is worthy of it. Think about it for just a second. Do you believe that? It's kind of like Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles where he, he was like, that's it. Like, he knew he had done wrong against the Lord, but he's like, what else am I to do? Yeah. I serve him anyway. Then the Lord uses him powerfully. <laughs> yeah. Change the fate of the nation. This idea, because what we get sold often in coming into Christianity is... This, will, this is the happiness you've been looking for. And so the reason we walk in, okay, well, I mean, I'll try, I've tried other things, so I'll try Christianity. And, and what we're looking for is the happiness. That was the promise. And so we, we, we doctor things up to, to try and make you happy. We want to make people happy. And when we see people that are hurting... We say, oh no, they're not happy. I want them to be happy. They should be happy. Let's make them happy. These people over in these other countries, third world countries, they look sad. They seem sad. I'd be sad if I was in those conditions. I want them to be happy. Nobody should be sad. We want you to be happy. That's humanism. And that's us in it for us. (laughs) It's very convicting. It's this idea... That we glorify God and we are here for his purposes. And he kept saying over and over again that God is not a means to an end. He is the end. He is the goal. God is not the means to get you where you want to go. He is the goal. Thoughts? Yes. Yeah, I just thought, because C.S. Lewis said that too, where like God is not a means to an end, he is the end. Mm. But if you take that and flip that perspective on yourself, we are God's mean to his end. That's good. I like that a lot. Yes, sir. Well, I, I just see a lot of parallels where God told Israel to stay separate, and every time they mixed with those around them, we saw what happened to their their faith and observance of the law. In the same way, Christianity has melded with humanism to a large extent. And I never really saw that until I I put those two comparisons side by side, Mm. which is why being separate is so absolutely important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, sir. So I'm thinking about, like, you know, when I 
That's where you'll be happy. Yeah. I want to go to heaven. I want to be happy. Yeah, he was talking about the, the way that uh, conservatives or fundamentalists had split from liberals and this idea of, this is in the 1800s, he was describing some of the splits that happened or that took place was that there, people who were defined as believers, he said Christians, defined as believers were the people who were Bible-believing, God-fearing, obedient, spirit-filled, fruit-displaying, you know, the... This is how you knew who a believer was. And then they moved from that to making statements. And it's like, I, we, we believe in the Bible. We believe in Jesus Christ. And we, we believe, and it was the statements that were formed. And then it moved from there to, to having to say, uh-huh, uh-huh, to, to the certain statements. Not even having to make those statements or be about those statements, but just saying, uh-huh, at the right places. And now that's, that's, that's what it is. It's turned into, yes, I, I want that. And that's how we define someone who is a believer. And it, and it has moved so far from we define what we see by the fruit to if someone says, uh-huh, at the right place, they're now a believer. <laughs> you had something, Andrew. So good. What, what a great train of thought you just took everybody through. The idea of when we don't understand God's purposes and we're confused and think that happiness is the point, what do we start to do when we don't feel happy? Question God. We doubt everything. We're afraid. We're confused. I'm just not happy anymore. Therefore, I question it. Well, because the whole point of you starting it was to be happy. Do you see how it's, it's a trap? You know, when you combine that with 
you know, faithfulness leaving people and not being important anymore. The idea of persevering through difficulty and trial. And, and, and you, you take that ingredient out of most people. Not even just in the church, but just most people in general today, especially in our country, right? When you take that ingredient, faithfulness, perseverance, you take those out and then you make Christianity about being happy. Oh, it's doomed. It's doomed. And we'll agree to anything. We'll go along. We'll compromise in any way, you know? So anyways, someone else had something? Yes, sir. Christianity has always thrived under persecution. Yes. Without Christ, like humanism without Christ and telling people about Christ, if I'm nice to someone and I don't tell them about Christ, then I'm just making them with their lives more comfortable as they go to hell. Yeah, because that's the whole point, them being happy. Who I don't know about the end of life or what happens afterwards, but in this life you should be happy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, like, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or uh, superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Amen. It just sounds like... Paul is dealing with that same mindset of, of, you know, man's idea of what God desires for our life, rather than um, just having that the very, I guess the that statement was like, um, he's not a means to an end; he is the end. Yeah. How Paul's like, no, look, it's Jesus and nothing else. We're also gaining his perspective from Titus to say no to ungodliness and to be eager to do good. Why to be eager to do good? Not just because that ultimately will result in our happiness, but because it is about what brings glory to God. And our good works do bring glory to God. That's how we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's not to say we don't go and feed the person. It's not to say we don't go and sit with the person who is hurting or broken or take care of the orphans and widows. The point is when we go to care for them, our end is not to make them happy. That's why sometimes whenever you've gone and just do the good deeds and you don't say anything about Christ, uh, that explains what is motivating you. That's how you can understand your own motives. It's this idea of uh, uh, preach the gospel and use words when necessary. Often what this translates into is we are not saying anything about the state of someone's soul, but we're, we're wanting to do things that help make them more comfortable or make them more happy or alleviate some of the struggle or the hardship. And, and, and the point is, is that you can alleviate them temporarily from the struggle that they're going through physically. But if they end up in that same position again with no change to their soul, we have not accomplished the purposes of God. Because it is not just about man being happy. It is about us increasing the glory of God. Displaying the glory of God. Let's read C together. To raise up individuals who will be his representatives here on earth. Let's go to Matthew 28, 19. Anytime you see Matthew 28, 19. And 20. I want you to equate it with an unbroken chain. 
when you read these two verses, I want you to read unbroken chain. There was never a point at which it was supposed to be diluted or broken or cease. It was always supposed to continue in the full power that Jesus started it off on. Uh, Elder Mark, would you read Matthew 28, 19, and 20, please? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, as surely as I am with you always to the very end of the age. Shane, what did you write down for that? We are to take what we have received and bring it to all nations. We are to teach obedience to the Father, to everybody, just as we obey them. Amen. Anybody else write something different? Natalie, what did you write? Um, make more of who he made us. Yes, make more of who he made us. <laughs> yes, because if everybody has that mentality... It's multiply, 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 exponentially, exponentially, exponentially. And if Jesus came to bring glory to the Father, and Jesus gets multiplied to the 12 disciples, and they get multiplied to their disciples, and they get multiplied, that's how we accomplish the purposes of God. The unbroken chain of multiplication through discipleship. That is how we achieve the purposes of God here on earth. Now, the way that that looks for you... And what your purpose is in that is what you have to discover. I, I feel like this is a revolution mm -hmm. back to the garden. Yeah. Like this is the beginning of the church. And Adam didn't teach his wife <laughs> yes. correctly. And so she was unable to follow all the ways that were commanded to Adam. Correct. And isn't that the perfect picture of a Christ is referred to as the second Adam and then who is Adam's bride Eve and so we see this was a failure to deliver the bride it was a failure you know because he did not teach her to obey everything that he was commanded that's good Mark 16 Emily, will you please read Mark 16, 15 through 16? Louder than you want to. Okay, so let me ask you a little bit different take than what your words on that are. What does that add to Matthew 28, 19 through 20? Yeah, could you ever say that to anybody? Yeah. What do you think? Y'all agree or disagree? And it's open. Open thoughts. What? Is there any context in which we would speak that to anybody? Go ahead, Josh. No. Um, yeah, I think if somebody's living an outright 
not repent of the way you're living, that, that means death. That equates death. And then, to your point, I was there. Right? I get, I get it. I was in your shoes. And because of Christ, I am now walking in freedom. Mm, mm, mm. Scriptures, anyone? Uh, John 3, 16, 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It says, Whoever believes, I'm sorry, it's 18, in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Mm. So he's condemned already. You're just telling them about the state that they're in. Good. Can I get one more scripture on this? Yeah. Uh, Second Kings 20 is the story of Hezekiah. Okay. And uh, in it, uh, Amos comes to him and says, he says, set your house in order for you shall die tomorrow and <laughs> shall not recover. And uh, so Sweet. Hezekiah goes and he sets his house in order. And because of the warning, he sets his house in order. And then the Lord gives Amos another prophecy. And he's like, yeah, go tell him because you've done this. <laughs> that's great that's great could we tell someone that they are condemned could you do that that would not help with their happiness what'd you say in love in love how would you do that in love Hannah Let me push back. I don't, I don't need to be free. I feel pretty good. Yeah. I don't need to be free. I feel pretty good. What would you say? Someone answer me back. I just said that to you. I just said that to you while you were talking to me. Yeah. So she's saying you can be set free. You can be redeemed. And I'm saying I don't need to be set free. I feel pretty good. If you directed it specifically at them, what, what might that do? They can consider it to be hateful, judgmental. I mean, there's a lot of negative that could come from that. Help us out. We're going down a good train here. Why, what if they considered it to be judgmental, hateful? Help me out. They hated Jesus. And he said, they hate me because I say what they do is evil. Yikes. Yes, sir. Um, one of the things that uh, you could be, they could shut your spirit down if you approach them that way. And instead of uh, being 
uh, wise as serpent and harmless as a dove. Yeah. And your approach to letting them know where they're at. Yeah. Because if their their spirit is shut down, they're not going to hear what you have to say. This is good. This is really good that we're talking about this, guys. And it says in Proverbs, a harsh word will. Turn away wrath. So is it a harsh word for you to tell someone that what they're doing is evil? I Just feel like if you, if you speak it in a way that is specifically saying just that and not the entire truth, then yes. Because there's a whole truth to it. Thoughts? Uh, I think it's really important that you present it as a choice. Like what you were saying, you're like, I don't feel like I need freedom. And it's like, you don't, that might be true, you know? But it, and it's not about that you need freedom, it's that you're being offered it, you know? So it's like, you have the opportunity to take it, and it doesn't really matter whether you feel like you're sinning or you're not, you are, mm. you mm. know? And so it's like, present the truth as it is, and yes, definitely do it with love, and figure out how to do that. You know, like, for me, I've been struggling with this exact thought of, like, how do I display myself to be a Christian because it's not just enough to do it in my actions because sometimes I slip up, you know? Oh, yeah. I had to apologize to a coworker today because I was like, that wasn't right of me to say that. And just, like, realizing that my actions aren't enough, so how am I standing up for the Lord in my words and making that um, known and, and that if people do hate you, they're hating you because of Christ, you know? And, and that I'm finding that I think the best way to do that is through community right like you can't um i think it's really hard to like do like a one pop shot at someone and be like you're a sinner see you later you know but when you bring someone into a community where other people are living righteously and it's not just you mm. um i think there's a larger contrast between the way that they live their lives and the community is living their lives and i think that people like natalie and Kay and sydney and luke can attest to that that like maybe they didn't see that as one friend but when they were brought to this church it's like yeah all of these people you know and so like i think community is a really important part of bringing people to knowledge of who the lord is because it's about family and i agree i agree a couple more yeah shane First came to my mind is in Luke thirteen five, where Jesus himself tells them. He says, "No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish." And like, now, now stop for a second. What does it say in our little subheading above the little place that we're at right now in our discipleship helps book? C. This is letter C. His representatives represent him. So would it be, would we be wrong to say the things that he said? No. no. Why did you say it, uh, that's love? Oh, to tell someone that they're condemned. Yeah, or that what they're doing is evil, yeah. Because it could be the very thing that saves them. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, babe. Believers will 
It's a good woman right there. Yes, Hans. Yes, sir. this about what he just said so that's that's a great question the idea of preaching at all times what we've done is there's too many people despising the body and having an uh, apathy that leads to compromise towards the world despising the body, not caring for the body, not seeing the body appropriately, not treating the people in the body the way that they're supposed to, not loving the body rightly, and feeling sorry for people in the world, and compromising in hopes that maybe they might like you enough to want to be like your religion. I just saw this on display not too long ago. I won't say exactly when, but I was in a room full of people and a person's primary method, and it was on display, of trying to win people over to, was to befriend them and be such good friends with them that they would want to be like he is. So befriending worldly people and, and being, trying to be such good friends with them that they would want to have the same religion. And, and out of their own mouths proclaiming... Uh, that it was not working, but that they were happy for that individual that they had found their religion. And I want to tell you, this form of evangelism, of befriending worldly people, compromising on sin and being okay with sin and being very gentle with sin in hopes that someone will like you enough to want to emulate your religion, it's not working. It's not what we're called to. It's not what we're called to. We are called to take a stand. And if this means that it puts distance in between us and someone else as a result of the standard that we live by, we are in the same camp as Jesus. And we're supposed to be his representatives. Yes, sir. Yeah, it boils down to, uh, if you don't tell someone they're condemned, then they don't know how to repent. I will not repent of something they don't make personal to me. So if I generalize something, then I'm not giving you a personal response to the gospel. Jesus made everything personal, and he had to tell them to repent, to turn to him, because if he doesn't, then I'm not going to feel convicted. I need to recognize that I'm a slave and I'm condemned. It's the only way that I will freely respond to the free grace of God. Mm. Anything less than that will be compromised, and no one will freely, genuinely express salvation. They may say a prayer, they may say, yes, okay, but their actions will not show the difference. Because they won't change. They're like, well, I'm good. I don't need to change. Mm. not condemned. I, I think many people, even in this room, that are fired up in conversations with other believers who think just the way that they are and will speak about sinners who are professing, professing to be believers, just talk like that to them. Share with them what you're actually saying, and you would be in a better position. It, 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 
it is this idea for us to be representatives. We don't just feel this way in here. When we walk out that door, we feel the exact same way. We are just as fired up as when I'm talking and I'm getting fired up and you're like, yes, I, I agree with that. Yeah, that's so right on. As when you're standing there and it's actually happening and you're responsible to say something. Yeah. Be fired up then <laughs> to say something. Yes, ma'am. Please. Yes. Do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life. That wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man and he does not turn from his wickedness or his evil ways, he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. Wow. I think it's love to speak out and share with them so they have an opportunity. And look in 18, he goes down. If, if I were to just say the words of God, here to individuals. The Lord will judge you, each one, starting in verse 30. The Lord will judge you, each one, according to his ways. Repent, turn away from all your offenses so that sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. Repent and live representatives of the Lord. Representatives. Yes, sir. Go ahead, Natalie. Okay, I just want you to help me out real quick. Um, so, I feel like I'm hearing you see a sin in an yeah. unbeliever. Are we correcting them or telling them of their state of their entire being? So that was kind of Hans's question a little bit, and, and I didn't answer it. The the point is we move according to the spirit, okay? So if I said, anytime you see sin in anyone, you need to go get them. So you're heading to the bars, right? Listen, all you, you know. If we're talking about the way that we minister, what I'm saying is we don't need to worry about that. We're not in danger of going around and doing this to everybody. That's not what we're in danger of. We're in danger of not speaking up at all. Okay, so we don't need to worry about what if we take this too far? We'll talk about that when we start moving in the wrong direction. But the idea of speaking up about sin and being willing to say that what someone is doing is evil when the Spirit prompts you to do so, that is something that we all have to be on board as. Why? Because it's not about us being happy or them being happy, it's about us accomplishing His purposes Amen. and bringing Him glory. And, and one thing that Paris Reed had said is he went on a trip to Africa and he was moved he, before he went. He, he was moved to say, oh, Lord, they need to hear the gospel. They're, they're, you know, they, they need to, to hear about you so that they can be saved. And he said when he went, it changed everything for him because he realized the people that he went to, he realized that they weren't just in, in need of hearing the truth. Now, I'm not saying this is all of Africa. I'm not saying this is all missions. I'm saying this was his experience, and this is what he walked away from with. He said the people that he went to see knew the truth, rejected the truth, and were choosing to live in their sin, and they were monsters drowning in iniquity who needed to be saved from their sin. <laughs> That's so bad. That's so bad. This idea... Of when he says they are monsters drowning in their iniquity, if not paired with just like me. Yeah. 
Because what it does is it keeps me from seeing their actual state. Their actual state is not that they don't know the truth, but that they've heard the truth, rejected it because they love their sin more. This is the state that we are in. This is the state of our country. This is the state of our city, the place where we live. And if we try and gently nudge over a long period of time, people in the right direction, I want you to know that that's not the approach that's going to work because that's not what Jesus used. Jesus didn't gently nudge people over decades. He came to do the work of God and that involved people hearing about their sin. Many walking away with their heads hung low. I can't accept that. How many people have walked away saying, I can't accept that from what you've said? You're his representative to be just like him in this earth. Yes, sir. Just reminded of uh, what Christ says in Matthew 5, 11. It says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, be glad because great is your reward. Yes. In the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And it just reminds me that the prophets weren't a soft-spoken crowd. Yeah. You know, they came with strong words, you know, calling out for repentance. And by us pandering the politically correct speak gently make sure everyone's happy game we rob ourselves of a reward and as Justin Ezekiel then you know we want to run the risk of their blood on our head. And, and and what I'm saying is we still speak the truth in love. Hear me on this. We still speak the truth in love. I'm saying that we need to change our version of what love is. Do you see what I'm saying? We speak the truth in love. Love does not mean Love does not always equate with someone being happier once you speak. Yes. I got a question for you. Yes, sir. This happened back in the 90s. Uh, Village of Crystal Lake allowed the homosexual to have boat uh, races in the Crystal Lake. And quite a few of the churches got together and they were heckling the homosexual people. Awesome. They were walking in. I did not feel like that was the right way to prevent no. their sin. No. How do you deal with something like that in, what, in context of what you're saying? Great question. This is why I began with maturity. This is where we're at. Where, where is the more dire need right now? We got to get mature. Mm -hmm. Okay? Go, pretending that they're the bigger problem right now. No. We're, once we get this right, what we will naturally do out there will be, we'll speak up when we're supposed to speak up. We're not going to worry about man accepting us or praising us or, you know, what it will cost us financially or time-wise to do what God has called us to do. Do you see? We have to get mature first. That's, that's what we're doing, but we are putting the focus on getting mature. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing. That's why we have things in the works for greater maturity. That's why we're calling out sin, but not just calling out sin, also calling each other to our purpose. And trying to understand our calling so that we're walking this out the right way. We're focusing on us first. Why? So that we can see clearly the speck in our brother's eye. That's why we're focusing on us first. So do I think that that's what this world is needing? Is more heckling at homosexual motorboat racing? 
No, I don't think that that's what the world is in need of right now. I think what the world needs is mature believers who truly know why they believe what they believe and are discerning through the work of the Holy Spirit and can speak the truth in God's definition of love. You see, I, I, that's, that's what I would say. So no, I, I think that that might be, you know, counterproductive. <laughs> yes. Yes, sir. I just want to add a little bit to the other side of the equation that, that if you condemn someone for a particular action or a sin, someone that's not a believer, that comes from judgment. And, and Paul tells us that we're not to judge those outside the body of Christ. So, and, and we, I saw many times we said, let the dead bury the dead. Uh, not that we can't outreach non-believers, and again, I believe it comes down to listening to what the Spirit says. It's, it's kind of a double-edged sword in that respect. Uh, but we got to be careful when we find ourselves judging those outside the body of Christ, because now the Spirit of God is not going to flow through us effectively. So I think, I think the way that, that Mike put it is a very respectful way to put the thought, and I would respectfully disagree that that is uh, what we need to hear. The world stands condemned already. I am not judging them by saying that they stand condemned already. It's done. It, it is. I'm agreeing with that. You know what I mean? Point out specific sin and condemn that individual. That's just not a direction that's going to bear any And And if, if that's what I've communicated so far, then forgive me. My, my goal has not been you guys need to point out specific sin in people and then condemn them. But rather, to not be afraid to say that someone stands condemned in their sin already. Because at some point, you needed to hear that. And this brings about change. And the problem is, we are afraid to offend people. That's the real problem. And this goes after our own insecurities and our own fears. I am afraid to offend someone because I do want people to like me. And, and it's hard enough in this world right now. I don't want to contribute to someone's sadness, especially if the goal is their happiness. I mean, these are the real things going on inside our hearts. It's not because it's wrong biblically. It's because we have our own insecurities and fears. Let's be honest. But the point is, if we are representatives of Christ, then these are the things that have to be said and done. And if it offends, it offends. If they hate us, they hated him. And this has to be our approach towards it. If we are maturing, if we're nearing the end of this book and we get to the end of it and we haven't grasped that concept, that's a failure. That's a failure. I think it goes back to the chapter on the eternal judgment. Because it might be semantics, but just what it says in Mark is that they will be condemned. Like, this is your fate. Mm. You, you stand in this position, but your fate is eternal judgment. Yes. And, and the character of someone's soul to have that recognition that if, if I don't, I don't say this. Well, who, who knows if they're going to get another opportunity? An opportunity to. We talk about this place being practice training, right? Talked about it for the gifts. I hope that uh, after the roller coaster that we've been on over the past several months, that you haven't given up on pursuing the gifts on eagerly desiring the gifts, but that you're still seeking the Lord. You're still ready to step out in faith as it concerns the gifts. 
I want to tell you it's also a training ground for bringing correction and bringing hard words and speaking the truth in love. Because even if you get it wrong, and many of us in here have gotten it wrong, right? If, if you've gotten it wrong, bringing a word of correction to someone, you raise your hand. Good. Mm. I rode my bike here. Someone needs to correct me. <laughs> and yet we learn. We learn to do it. When we bring a word of correction and we get it wrong, and then someone's like, ah, I'm hearing what you're saying, but God, you threw that extra, you know, fleshly part in it too, and that hurt. Then it teaches you, wait a second, you know, my heart maybe is wrong. I've got to get my heart right. And when you learn to live in the light and you learn to address the issues of your own heart, then when you go and you find yourself in a position where you're having to bring a word like that, and it could cost you your life. It could cost you your comfort, your home, your relationships, your time, your money. Then you've trained yourself. It's like, no, I know this. I've been in situations with brothers and sisters, and it has hurt to bring a word of correction, but I know that it's what God requires, and I know in the end it will bring about a harvest of righteousness. I'm going to do this. It's what's required. We get trained in that in here. And so we get to practice being his representatives to each other first. And that's great because we have grace on each other and mercy because he's been forgiven much, loves much. And if you're in this room and you've been forgiven by the Lord, you've been forgiven of a lot. And the parable of the unmerciful servant is equated to millions of dollars versus the few dollars that someone else might owe you from their offense towards you. Amen? All right. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. Caleb, would you read 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20, please? As he's going there, 1 Timothy 1. 15 and 16 has been blessing me lately. It talks, Paul says that he is the worst of sinners. And he says that God has shown him mercy, him, the worst of sinners, and has unlimited patience towards him. I have been moved by the idea that God has unlimited patience towards me. And that if he is my example, I should have unlimited patience patience towards everyone else. Thank you, Elder Ben. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, 
be reconciled to God. Good. Good job. Good job. What did you guys write? Johnny, what did you write on that? We are God's ambassadors. What is an ambassador? When I think about an ambassador, Elder Mark, would you share about your understanding of an ambassador? His representatives here on earth. First Corinthians fifteen, three through five. Let's go there. Marsha, would you mind reading this for us? Taven, what did you write down for your five? Christ died for our sins, then he was buried, then he was raised on the third day, and I didn't quite find the, uh, I put appeared to Peter and then appeared to the twelve. Yeah, that's what I wrote too. Oh. Yeah. Sweet. Answer, buddies. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody write down anything different? Summer, what'd you write? Okay. I did a revolution. It is passed on. It's now Paul. Ah, that's good. So, <clears throat> go to the next page. If Israeli branches were cut off for not bearing fruit, Romans eleven seventeen through 22, what will happen to anyone who commits the same sin? Zach, what did you write? They will be cut off. They will be cut off. Let's go to Romans 11. Zach, would you read that for us? Romans 11, 17 through 22. Good. What version says bearing fruit? <clears throat> uh, it's John 15. 
Yeah, John 15 is bearing fruit. No, the version. This is quoted from Romans 11. They were cut off for not bearing fruit. Uh, let's see. I guess, that would, I guess he would be taking a little bit of a liberty in combining the idea of John 15 and the branches. You know, the idea of remaining. If you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. And the way that you remain is... That's my thought. I could ask him. See what his thoughts were in that. Yeah, because I would say bearing fruit would be uh, stand by faith. They were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, that would be my... That would be my conclusion. Is that within the context? No, I don't think so. Yeah. So everyone in the olive branch, whether Jew or Gentile, are all there because of belief yes. in Jesus Christ. Yes. So go before Jesus Christ is born. Is there anybody in that tree? Was anybody credited with righteousness before Jesus Christ yes. was born on the earth? Yeah, yeah so I'd have to say sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, when I look at the faith of Abraham, right, let's, let's revisit this again because I really want us here in this room, I want us to understand the faith of Abraham. What does this mean? This doesn't mean that I look at Abraham and I hold him up, I make a figurine, and then I pray to him with candles around him, right? That's a different religion. <clears throat> it means... I emulate the faith of Abraham. What did Abraham do? He left everything that he knew, everything that he identified with to follow where God would lead him. He was willing to give up that which was most precious to him, which meant that God was his priority over everything else. <clears throat> he followed the commands of God. He would teach his children the commands of God. This is the faith of Abraham. We are not to try and be like someone who existed 4,000 years ago in the way that we dress, in our beard, in the color of our hair, right? In the color of our hair. We need to emulate his faith. What did he do? He heard the word of God and he obeyed the word of God. He received the word of God and then he obeyed the word of God, right? And it translated into action. This was his belief demonstrated by action. That's the faith of Abraham. And it's related to a branch because we talked about this, <clears throat> that the, the redemptive part of history truly began with Abraham. We see it in Noah. We see different things happening with different people along the way. But the idea of Abraham being called and set apart and people coming from it, this is the truly redemptive part of the history of mankind. Okay? So when we say that the faith of Abraham... This was being drawn. And now, doesn't this even apply to someone born in a Muslim country, born into a Muslim family, right? Where you may be born into a household that you need to leave. You may need to leave everything you've ever identified with. Well, thank God that a person has modeled that type of faith for you, right? And, and Jesus, obviously, has modeled it for us, but also sinful, broken people have modeled that same faith for us, you can do it. You see? So it would be more about that than idolizing Abraham. Yes, sir. I have a question. Um, so this is talking about uh, in verse 19, it says, the branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. 
how much more uh, will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive trees? Is this referring again to the Jews, their cutoffs that we might have a place and then they're grafted in again at the end? Yes, okay. 100%. Yeah. By belief, not just because of bloodline. Right. Still by belief. Cool. Uh, Romans 15, 15 through 16. Rewrite it in your own words. We're right there. Why don't we just read it? Uh, Dan, will you, would you read Romans 15, 15 through 16, please? What did you write down for that? Um, Paul is saying uh, that it's important to remind us to, to minister. We are ministers of Jesus Christ, ministering the gospel uh, to the Gentiles as an offering to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Veronica, what did you write? Paul ministered to the Gentiles. Go a little bit deeper. What do you hear in Romans 15, 15 through 16? Um, when he ministered to them by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. What was the big deal about Paul ministering to the Gentiles? Why was that a big deal? Because he was a Jew. He was a Jew. What about the sanctify others by the Holy Spirit? Sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The Gentiles being a becoming an acceptable offering. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Help me understand that. Help me understand what that means. The idea of the Gentiles becoming an acceptable offering because they've been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Brad, help me, help me with that. I'm going to say it again. So the Gentiles becoming an acceptable offering, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I think about sins red as scarlet, he will wash them white as snow. I think about the blemish, but then being washed and made clean so that they would be an acceptable sacrifice. That's what I think of when I think of the sanctification process. Anybody have something different? Yeah, I, uh, I just had, for a for a Jew to look as a at a Gentile to be sanctified, um, that that was really really special, wasn't it? Yes. Because otherwise, they looked down on him. Yes. And who did he choose to go and make these pigs <laughs> into acceptable, clean, spotless sacrifices? The most zealous Pharisee of Pharisees. Right? I love that. Revelation 5, 8 through 10. Let's go there.
Y'all are doing great. Henry, will you read this out for us? Revelation 5, 8 through 10. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. What do you learn from that? Uh, men from every tribe will be purchased for God with Christ's blood and made into a kingdom of priests. Yes. Caleb, what, what did you write down for that? Yes, sir. Uh, I said that there is only one who is worthy and everyone will come to worship you. Yes. Help me, since we're talking about the purposes of God, how does this verse bring us full circle? How does what we just read bring us full circle? And go back to Genesis 1, 26 through 27. We're now in Revelation 5. How are we full circle as a result of what we just read as it concerns the purposes of God? Because everyone's purpose is to glorify God. Everyone's purpose is to glorify God? And it says, and they shall reign on the earth. Why is that a big deal? Because Genesis 1.27, God gives us dominion and tells us to increase and multiply. And so we will have multiplied and we'll be reigning on the earth. We did it. <laughs> we did it. It works. He actually carries out his purpose and it works. It comes to pass. He had an original purpose, started with one guy. And somehow it came to pass by the grace of God. And we now are ruling and reigning with him on the earth. Not just by ourselves while he's up in the clouds. He's here with us. We're together. We're doing it together. We're ruling and reigning on the earth. He accomplishes his purposes. Yes. Yes. Uh, I just wanted to share this in my version. I thought it gave like another level of insight. It says that you made them into a kingdom for God to rule. Priests to serve him, and the priests will rule over the earth. Yes. So I thought it was interesting that God rules over his people, and his people rule over the earth. Mm, love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, here we are. What is God's purpose? Someone want to dare to give that a shot? Neka, what did you write down for what is God's purpose? No, you can just tell me. What, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you believe is God's purpose? Love him on earth, serve him, and bring glory to his name. Amen. Amen. And the work we do through him, for him through the community. Amen. Yes. Growing his kingdom. Yes, I agree. Yeah, Tim. I wrote, to make a people set apart for himself, who as they shine his glory are drawing the rest of the world to worship him. Amen. I like how you said shine his glory. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. Yeah, it's good uh, to redeem men by using men to bear witness to the 
saving and redemptive power of the gospel, which has been revealed since the beginning of time. Amen. Christy, any head? Amen. Yes. To restore every part of his creation back to right standing and order again. Amen. Amen. Uh, redemption of Israel and all mankind. Redemption of Israel and all mankind. That's good. Anybody else? Amen. I wrote based on these verses <clears throat> to sanctify us through the Holy Spirit by faith. As we follow Jesus, proclaiming his gospel, the servant of and from Israel is receiving a growing inheritance. That's what I wrote for God's purpose. That's just what I wrote. What you guys wrote was good too. The, the, I, the idea of God bringing glory. And then do you see that's the purpose, but there were specifics that helped to achieve that purpose. Do you see that? That is how purpose works. That's how purpose works. You have a purpose. There is a reason that you are here. I am coming to grips and to terms with my own purpose here. Lindy and I have been talking about this lately with what my purpose is. What's my purpose? You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on this book that we're going to use for the Acts class or whatever it'll be called by the time that we get there. But sometimes I, as I'm doing this, I think maybe my purpose is to create these works. And I say, no, I think my purpose is you guys. And, and what I realize is each of these things are steps or are parts of the purpose that God has put me here for on this earth. And I go back to we realize that to bring freedom through the truth of God's word. That's the purpose that we were put here for. That Lindy and I are together for as a couple. That is why we are here on this earth to bring freedom through the truth of God's word. Do you see how that is like this? Well, what are the specifics? Ask me five years ago, I wouldn't have been able to name some of the specifics that I can name today. Do you see? Because as time goes on, he brings about the different fulfillments to help you achieve that purpose. And it's not because of your careful planning or because you got around all the right people and you worked your way up the ladder and that's not what it's about. It's about you seeking him, getting the snot kicked out of you many times, exactly. right? And you want to, no, please. And then you seeing he uses that to bring glory to himself. And you're like, oh, oh, okay. Your ways are higher. <laughs> this is, this is really, I mean, this is, this is what we're in. This is what we're doing. We, we, we understand God's purpose. Okay, we, we, we got it. We're on board with God's purpose. We get it. Okay. I see Israel's purpose more. I understand that more. See Abraham's purpose, even David's purpose. See Jesus's. Well, as you're beginning to understand purpose more, then we're moving into our purpose. Yeah. My purpose, your purpose. As you understand, wait a second, I see David did have a purpose. 
Someone sum up for me, just, just a quick exercise. Sum up for me what David's purpose might have been. Just take a stab at it. What was David's purpose? King David. Okay, to bring peace. To what? Establish a throne that would reign forever. I like that. That's, that's, that's this, right? It's getting more like this. Anybody else? Take a stab at it. Display faithfulness even though he's sinful. Display faithfulness even though he's sinful? Anyone else? Take a stab at David's purpose. To exemplify a heart towards God. Okay. Exemplify a heart towards God. So I think that these are good. Uh, they're, they're general enough. Uh, I think, uh, so someone else's might be to bring freedom to the truth of God's word. It doesn't mean it's like, no, that's Nick and Lydia's. You can't have, <laughs> I'm sure many other people to bring freedom to the truth. But the, the, what makes it specific is the, the, the specific things along the way. Do you see? That's something that we will do that no one else will do. We will do the specific things that God prepared in advance for us to do. We will accomplish those for our lives, Lord willing. That's our goal, right? Our purpose reminds us why we're here and is our long-term vision, right? But I'm on board with God's purposes. And that's what gives me clarity throughout my days. Because if I just looked at my purpose, well, then I'm trying to figure out the whole picture just by looking at a tiny part. But as I look at God's purposes, I see, oh, this is the big picture. And I see there's that person's purpose and those people's purpose and their purpose. And I see how that fits into the larger picture. I wonder what my purpose is. Do you see? That's, and, and you see how I'm using this size instead of this for us? I wonder what my purpose is. And when we have this mentality, it's easier to grasp this, our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, it's this like God's purposes, big. That's what will be accomplished. I have a purpose too. And there are specific, now if I get beep, beep, and then like zoom in, boop, and then I see, here's my specific, is that Siri? <laughs> specific things prepared in advance for me to do to what? Accomplish my purpose, which is, boop, right? A little part in God's purposes. Is what I'm doing translating all these little yes. motions? Okay. All right. So, what does he want from his church? To represent to the world so that the world may be saved. Yes. Absolutely. Faithful witnesses who endure is what I wrote. What is evangelism and world missions then really about? Yes, Ian, go ahead. Yes, 100%. Lynette, did you get anything for this one? Well, I gave the meaning of evangelism versus world mission. Okay. Evangelism is a local community outreach. Mm -hmm. 
see others become devoted disciples of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then world missions involves all that is required to see the church established among every people or group. Uh, a group of people that has to be trained believers who can reach out to their own people through evangelism by de demonstrating Christ's love. That's fantastic. Great job. Yeah, I just wrote our gospel mandate and the inheritance of the, of the Lord. So yours is way better. <laughs> what should our purpose be, finally? I want to hear from, from you guys. Luke, what did you write down for what should our purpose be? To bring him glory through whatever we do. Bring him glory through whatever we do. Good. What else? What else did you guys write? Sydney, what did you write? Nice. Praise God. Sarah, what did you write? I didn't write anything. What do you think? What um, should our purpose be? Um, to bring glory to him in everything we do and to reveal him. Yes. Good. Perfect. What else? Yes, sir. To know him and to make him known. To know him and make him known. Wonderful. Wonderful. I love it. I love it. I love it. Mic drop. Yeah, go ahead, Shane. Mic pick, pick up. Ourselves pure and holy as an offering that is obedient and pleasing to the Father, and to teach that way of life to our children and the nations. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yes, ma'am. Uh, our purpose is worship, fellowship, discipleship, and ministry. Mm. Mary Lynn, what should our purpose be? To do His will. Amen. Amen. Annie, what did you write? Amen. Amen. <laughs> I wrote to boldly live out our faith as we are sanctified, to remain humble lights in the darkness. That's what I like too. The idea of when I'm, I'm doing this whole picture, it's like the sky, right? With the stars, right? And you look and it's just like there's, how many stars? Yeah. To the 10 to the 28th power or something like that? Stars everywhere. And each one of them gives off the light that they give. But together, they create these lights that govern the night sky. You know? And it's beautiful. And each one is just doing their part. If you zoomed in, it's this oh, burning bright you know, ball of gas, right? <laughs> what is that on? Lion King? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cultural, pop culture. I, I, I'm telling you guys that uh, I, I think uh, what we're talking about tonight is really crucial. Some of these massive concepts that are getting, you know, that we're eating bite by bite, and it's like, oh, that was a good meal. No, this is... <laughs> This is a big deal to understand God's purpose, to understand where Israel fits into it, where you fit into it. And that's what you guys are walking away with. Those of you who are engaging and you're, you're tracking with what we're talking about, that's what you're walking away with. You are walking away understanding God's purpose. Think about that for a second. You're walking away understanding Israel's purpose. And 
ultimately you will understand more about your purpose. Some of these things, it'll just be the Lord revealing them to you, right? But being able to understand the big picture, think about how liberating that is. Being able to understand his purposes. Some of these things seem basic or foundational, especially as we walk away from them. But really and truly, it's good to re-examine our foundation. It's good for us to check for gaps and cracks in our foundation. Just ask my basement when it rains. (laughs) It's good for us to fight for maturity. Amen? And maturity comes through submission to the process of developing our anointing and developing our scholarship. And that's what we're doing. Anointing and scholarship. It is the pairing of the two. Do you see that? The charismatic world for too long has suffered from an emphasis on anointing while they downplay scholarship. So that there's a lot of crazy which is good, some good. I'm not saying it's all bad. But very poor scholarship. And we're not going to fall into that trap. Amen? We're going to submit to the Holy Spirit. We're going to be spirit-filled, in love with Jesus, walking in the gifts, walking by faith, seeing miracles, seeing healing, seeing the Lord do amazing things, never putting Him in a box. And we're also going to know why we believe what we believe. We're going to adhere to the standard of the word and stand on his truth. Amen. Amen. Alan. Yeah, what I was communicating earlier is I, I, the Lord has shown Lindy and I our purpose, which is to bring freedom to the truth of God's word. Now what I'm discovering is specifics along the way. Some he gives me visions for, visions that span a few years. Some have been things that just happened. I wasn't planning for, but it just came about. Other things like this, like what's happening here at this church and among this body of believers, this, this fits into what God has called us to do, our purpose, right? But these are specific things prepared in advance for us to do. That's what I'm getting a revelation of daily or weekly or monthly or yearly. And it happens at different times sporadically. Sometimes short, small things, sometimes large, big things. But it it was through prayer. It was through time, just sitting with it over the course of a few months. You know, and talking with our pastors and really digging into it. We cared about it a lot. We really wanted to know. And so we began to seek the Lord. And, uh, and then when we, you know, when we received it, we put the words together. Like I said, words matter to me. Some people, words don't matter. Words matter to me. So when we, we came together with that, it was affirmed in both of our spirits. We knew, yes, this is it. And then we shared it with our pastors, with the people that we we're close to and that we respect. And they're like, yes, that's exactly it. That's who you are. Yeah. 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 So, all right. Sorry. Yes, sir. No, go ahead. Uh, is that something that you like? 
that you developed as a single man too before you got married? I, I had no maturity as a single man. <laughs> I mustered up everything I could to get Lindy. And then I, and then I began to mature. No, I... I... Listen, you... you just about every one of you, and you, you guys, every one of you single guys are far more respectable than I was <laughs> as a single man. No, I, I, to be honest, all, all I really wanted, I, I fell in love with the Lord, and I just started seeking Him in prayer and journaling all the time, worshiping Him like an idiot in private, singing and dancing, weeping, and just pursuing Him. I didn't know about purpose and all this stuff, you know, back then. I just wanted more of Him, and I was a fool for Him, you know, and then... Slowly, he <laughs> reined me in, you know. But this, this has been a long, this is a long haul, right? We're in it for the long haul. We're in it for maturity. Maturity is the purpose. So you're in a much better position than I was, Tim. So, but no, I, uh, we love you guys. Uh, ben, would you pray for us, please? Oh, Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that your purposes will never fail, Lord. Lord, thank we you. thank you that. We will see it to the very end, Lord God. And God, I just thank you, Lord, that you have given us uh, the faith, Lord um, God. And I pray that we would just fight for that, Lord. Thank you. God, that uh, you would uh, just impart your purposes to all the people here, Lord. Um, your exact things that you have designed for them to do. Um, God, I just pray that they would become clear. And uh, you would just bless them with that, Lord. And that uh, we could further uh, your glory on this earth. In Jesus' name.